0: You know, i got a I got a friend here today, and i I wasn't going to tell any stories about basketball, and then he showed up, so I just feel obligated because he's he's on my basketball team, so you know I just feel like I need to tell a basketball story you know. In so many things in life, we figure out better ways to do things. There's kind of the, the way we used to do it, and then we get better at it, right? Somebody figures out something we get better at. We build, you know, the, you kind of heard the phrase, building on the shoulders of giants, right? doesn't mean that you, you got to cheat and use all the good things that the people before you learned, right? And then you get to build on those. And we've, we've all had the advantage of building on the people that learned before us. And that is true in basketball. And you know what? So great about basketball now. We figured out that three points... Is better than two. It it took us like 30 years to figure it out, but we now realize that three-pointers are worth more than two-pointers, and so now we shoot a lot more three-pointers than basketball, and this is very good for me. Why? I'm kind of slow now, and I don't move so good, but guess what I can still do even though I'm kind of old? I can still shoot (laughs) three-pointers, so uh, I'm thankful that's true, and today we're going to look at a passage that talks about how even in the plan of God, things were a certain way in the past, and then they've, they've gotten, they've improved it, better, it seems. And we're going to look at that, and Paul talks about in Corinthians how things were a certain way in the Old Testament, and they've changed here in the New Testament, and they've really, they've really improved. So let's pray, and we're going to look at this passage. Jill, we just thank you so much for This passage we're about to look at, help us to put our thinking caps on, Lord, and really try to understand what you'd have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we start in verse 1, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? He's talking about letters of recommendation. Do we need these? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. You know, if you're a teacher, if you're a teacher, isn't it wonderful when the only letter of recommendation you would need for your next job is your students? Is your students? Isn't it great if you're a college or a university and you don't need to advertise because your graduates are so successful, they speak for themselves, He says, you, you're the only letter of recommendation we need. Verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ. Toward God. Paul is extremely confident in what he has in these people. And he says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from Christ. You know, so often when we have success, our own success gets in our way, right? We get good at something. You know what the worst thing that happens? We figure out we got good at something. Right? And I'm sure I've used the phrase before that my dad used to tell me. He'd say, Joel, you have the disease that makes everybody sick except the one that has it. Right? You have the disease that makes everybody sick except the one that has it. Of course, that's pride, bragging. You do a great thing, and you ruin it all. And as so on is our walk with Christ, every step we make, every everything we, everything we conquer, we say, oh, I had this problem, and, and now Christ has helped me through it. You know what the worst thing we can do when we have conquered that thing in crisis, help us take credit, right? Uh, look how great I am. Oh, how, how come, how come? You, oh, you couldn't take care of that problem, could you? Oh, I've never struggled with that one. Temper issue, never had it. <laughs> Sorry for you. All right, suddenly this wonderful thing of being able to control your temper, we've we've turned into a, a negative. And he says... Who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I bought this little prop for our videos. It's a pipe. It doesn't actually work that I know of. I I don't particularly know how to smoke, so maybe it would work. I don't actually know, but. This is my new professor pipe. I get it out when I talk about things that we really need to think about hard. Okay, I learned this at the Hall of Men, all the guys smoke a pipe, so I felt felt like I needed to get one myself. This is called peer pressure. So, he's talking about how we're not worried about things that are on letters of stone, But the spirit is what really matters. And he says to us that we've been made ministers of a new covenant. What's this new covenant that he speaks of? Do they know what this new covenant is already? Are they familiar with this new covenant? And what's so different about this new covenant than the old covenant? Because apparently the letter, the thing's written on stone and it mentions Moses later, this kills. But the Spirit gives life. This seems like quite a development, doesn't it? This seems like maybe like a more important development than basketball players shooting more three-pointers. Well, it says in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So what's the old covenant? The covenant God made with Moses. Not the covenant he made with Abraham. The covenant he made with Moses. Sometimes we call that a clever name called the Mosaic Covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We seem to have solved it, that in the Old Testament, even back then, God says, you're screwing this covenant up. We came together. We made a deal. A deal is not a great way to describe a covenant all the time, but... You know what I mean? They get together, they kind of make a deal. They say, they come, Moses brings down the Ten Commandments, and they say, we promise, we promise we will do what you say. We promise. And God says, great. I promise if you do what I say, you're going to defeat your enemies, you're going to win your wars, you're going to be rich, everything's going to go great. I promise that will happen to you. What a deal, right? All they need to do is obey God, and guess what? They can walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and they'll fall down. It's is going to be fantastic, right? And what did they do? They break the deal. And so even in Jeremiah, he says, but one day there's going to be a new covenant. Not a covenant that kills, but a different kind of covenant. So we seem to have solved it. If we go on to verse 7, it says, now if the ministry of death, what's the ministry of death? Carved on letters of stone, that's the Mosaic covenant. Came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? He says, look, when Moses came down and he had had, been been exposed to the presence of God in some way, it was so glorious that you could not look upon him. If that was so great, if that was so wonderful, it's going to be so much better when the ministry of the Spirit comes. To me, this is where it starts getting confusing. I'll explain a little bit in a minute. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed its glory. This is why I think it starts getting confusing. Do we ever have to hide our eyes when we're in church or any other time because the glory is so bright? And sometimes Bethany Bryce dresses me in some brighter clothes, but I don't think that counts. I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever had anything quite like, I mean, you know, I've certainly had personal experience with God and all that, but anything quite like what Moses had, I'm not sure I've experienced anything quite like that. And I've been told here it's supposed to be even better. So how does, how does this work? And then actually when we read further in Jeremiah 31, we read this, he says, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I think harder. What are pastors for if we shall no longer have to teach our neighbor? Why do we need teachers And preachers, when Steve preaches last week and he says, "You know, we need to preach the word." Well, if the new covenant has come, this doesn't this doesn't seem to quite fly within our experience. Not only within our personal experience, but doesn't even particularly seem to fly with what the Old Testament or the New Testament says doesn't the New Testament teach us that we should have like not many teachers there's so much responsibility in teaching and you know you need to obey the, the you know you obey the teachers you know teaching seems to be very important well if it's so important how come it says when the new covenant comes we don't actually need any teachers anymore well it's a great question that I am not the first to grapple with, believe or not, believe it or not. Some have said this. Well, well, there must be two new covenants. There must be this one that Jeremiah is talking about, and there, there must be another one that we're under that Second Corinthians is talking about. They're not the same one because they're too different. That's been that was one solution. Not popular. Okay, not very many people take the two new covenants view. Some people take a view like this. Well, they're the same covenant, but it's like a spiritual version of it, okay? It's like a spiritualized version. So even though it says that, you know, one thing, what it it really means is something else, okay? It's like a spiritualized version, you know? So it's like, okay, well, you know, it just means that the Spirit's going to kind of help us learn more or something like that. You know, just some kind of, I don't know how exactly. It's not my view, so I'm not very good at explaining it. This is how I would understand it. I think that the Spirit has definitely come. It seems pretty clear that in 2 Corinthians, he says you're under the new covenant. As a matter of fact, you know, communion, this is the new covenant in my blood, right? Every, every for us at least, every first Sunday of the month, roughly. I think that the new covenant, you ready for this? Is here, but not been fully realized. It is here but it has not been fully realized. We will not actually see the whole we don't have to teach one another. We will actually have more experiences where it, like the glory of Christ is so great that we would have to hide our eyes. And that will come not in this life but in the millennial kingdom. So I believe there's a literal kingdom where Jesus Christ comes down to earth and lives for a thousand years. Not everyone agrees with that necessarily, but that's, that's how I work it. Because if he said we're not going to have to teach each other anymore, you know what I think that means? That we're not going to have to teach each other anymore and not something else. And so to me, I think that there is part of it is fulfilled now, but it won't be fully fulfilled until a time in the future in which Christ comes back and rules on the earth. Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Man, he is hard on the Mosaic covenant. He's hard. Now, we know that the Old Testament's not worthless, right? Why do we know the Old Testament's not worthless? Well, 1 Corinthians talks about how important learning the Old Testament is and, you know, learning from the Old Testament so we can have it for our teaching. But the Mosaic covenant, not around anymore. Indeed, in this case, once once had glory, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. I've probably said this before. I'm going to say it again. Some preachers will say things like this If you do what God says, He'll make you rich. They say it much more cleverly than that, okay? I'm not that clever, so I kind of give it to you straight, right? Give me money, you know, give the church money. God will give it back to you sevenfold or whatever, 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 you know, so so on and so forth. There's a secret sauce that you get it. And you know what? It works actually really good with the Mosaic Covenant. That fits really good with the Mosaic Covenant. It's actually really easy to find lots of stories in the Old Testament when they're under the Mosaic Covenant in which they do what God says. Guess what he does? He blesses them makes them rich, makes them win their battles, whatever, right? It's easy to find. So you can hear a preacher, and they don't even actually have to be teaching the Bible wrong. They can say, look, it happens in the Bible. They do what God says, and God gives them stuff. Boom. The problem is, they are teaching the Mosaic Covenant, and from what I'm getting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, The Mosaic Covenant is no good, and we are not under it, and we should not be following the principle anymore. You know, in the Old Testament, you could actually determine, how well is Israel doing on obeying God? Well, how much is God blessing them? And we can find out, right? In today, in the age of grace, it is not as easy as being able to say, well, whoever's being the most blessed right now, they must be obeying the God the most. We are not under the Mosaic covenant. That's not how it works. And sometimes the people that are following God the most sometimes have great tragedy in their life. We go into verse eleven. For what? For if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He says. This old thing, this, this Mosaic covenant, it's gone. And, and we're a part of the new covenant, at least the first part of the new covenant. And so what does he, what does he say? What, what effect should that have on us? What effect should that have on the Corinthians? That we are very bold. We have a great thing. It's great. It's better than the old thing. It's like I'll tell people, you need to watch the NBA. It's better than it used to be. It used to be more boring. Now I think it's better. You need to watch it. Right? We have something so much more fun to be a part of than the silly NBA, right? The old covenant, is gone. We should have boldness to be able to tell others, to be able to live it out in our lives. Verse 13, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away Jews today that when they read the old testament they do so still under a veil they do not understand the significance fully of what they are reading because they do not realize that the prophecies they are reading have already come true. They can know the one that they are reading about, that the relationship with them is there and available, and they're still waiting. They're still waiting. The veil remains unlifted. When I was in Israel, and we went to the Temple Institute, it was called. I've probably told stories about it before. I I remember they they tell stories in the Talmud and the Old Testament and whatnot, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that, that's already, yeah, that came true. That came true. No, no, not to them. Not to them. They're building, they're, they're trying to build buildings and build menorahs and so on and so forth because the veil is still, still there. We have an unlifted veil. Verse 16, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed. 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, so often, this I bet you this is a super popular verse to put on the calendar of verses, right? This is a great passage. Uh, and what's the context? The, the people of the Old Testament, the Jews, the, the people that are still have the veil, this is not freedom, right? This is a ministry of death, but Jesus Christ is freedom. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of really glad that the idea that God is only as nice to me as I am nice to him isn't in effect anymore. Because I don't think he'd be able to be very nice to me. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. We're gonna we're gonna sing a song. It's you know one of my favorite songs called "Complete in Thee." And you know, Jesus Christ, He came. And and while the new covenant's not fully here, there was something really complete about Jesus Christ's coming. And dying for us. You know, the the Old Testament, they were waiting. They were waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting, they waiting. Guess what? We've got it. We've got it. We are complete in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning, and we, we thank you that even though that there's a time in human history, and even those that follow the Lord were We're waiting for something great, and Lord, while we are anticipating your return, we are waiting for the future, and we have so much hope in the future, and and in heaven, Lord, we know that we can be complete in this life in Christ. But we love you so much. We thank you, and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.